So Job chapter 42, and I'd like to use as a term and title this morning, the other side of the thing, the other side of the thing. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful to stand before your people. I don't take it for granted that I get to teach your word, Lord. Your word is everlasting. Your word is life. Your word is powerful. Your word inspires us, motivates us, changes us. Your word is full of grace. And so I pray today that as I stand before your people, that you would give me grace to communicate the truths contained in your word in a way that would honor Christ, in a way that would minister to us personally. Lord, minister to us. Beyond my preparation, education, and knowledge, Lord, prepare our hearts, remove distractions, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The other side of the thing, I know the word thing seems a bit ambiguous, and I use that word because I wanted everyone to be able to identify with the message today because everybody has a thing. And when I say thing, I mean something that challenges us, uh, a weakness or an obstacle or perhaps a goal we want to accomplish. Maybe it's something frustrating in your life. It, It could be a pain or a loss like Job here in this story. It could be a personal or emotional struggle. So Everyone has a thing. Job represents for us anything we could ever imagine a human being can deal with. And so this is a beautiful story because in this story, we see Christ as the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulations, that we might be able to comfort those who are troubled in any, way, in any way. Also, we see here a God who restores. And so it is a very powerful and inspiring uh, story. And so as you may know, uh, Job in one day, he, he lost his family because as the story goes, uh, one day the sons of God, meaning the angels, came before God. And, and so Satan came also and God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is no one like him upright upon the earth? And Satan says, well, you know, you have a hedge around him and I can't touch him. And God gave uh, Satan permission to tempt Job. And Job, within a short period of time, a man who was wealthy and well-to-do with a great family, he lost his children. He lost his wealth. His marriage was in trouble because at one point in the story, his wife looks at him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? His friends, he has friends, and everybody needs friends. His friends come to sit by his side uh, because now by this time, Job is also sick. He is covered in sores. So not only has he lost his children, his marriage is in trouble, he's lost his wealth, his health is failing. Now his friends come to comfort him, and they sit 
with him for seven days, and they say absolutely nothing. Wonderful friends. The problem came when they started to talk. Uh, Might I make a sidebar here? If you're ever trying to comfort someone who is in grief, and I have had to bury a son, both a son and a wife, uh, one of the best things you could do is just sit with them and not say anything. Just be there. If they cry, cry. If they talk and ask a question, at that point, that is your cue that you may speak. Other than that, wash their dishes, mow their lawn, bring them food, but don't say anything. Because there are times that silence is the best thing to do. And so uh, these start to speak and they get into this dialogue. Job's friends actually start to accuse Job. Job, the reason that you are in this dilemma is because you have sinned in some kind of way. So not only now has he uh, lost his family and his wealth and his health, now his reputation is at stake. He is being falsely accused. And so, as I said, Job represents for us anything that we could ever go through as human beings. As a result of his pain and his trials and tribulations, Job asked God uh, for an audience. Uh, Job demands that God gives him an explanation. His words are recorded in Job chapter 23, verses 3 through 6, and I will read them for you. This is Job speaking, all that I may know where I might find him, that I might come to his seat, I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand that he, what he would say to me, he would contend with me. Would he contend with me with his great power? No, but he would take note of me. This is Job speaking. And so, by the time you get to chapter 38 of the book of Job, you have uh, Job's friends taking turns, going at him, and Job defending himself. And in the midst of him, this, uh, as you see, Job justified himself and asked for an audience with God. And in chapter 38, it gets interesting because God actually grants Job <laughs> An audience. And I just want to read a sum of what God said to Job in chapter 38, beginning at verse 1. This is what God said to Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is he who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you will answer me. Uh, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determines its measurements? Surely you know, Job. Or who stretched out the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who lays its cornerstone? When the morning star sang and all the sons of, of God shouted for joy, or who shut the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments in the thick darkness and swaddled in swaddling band... When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, 
When I said, this far you may come, but no farther, and here your proud waves must stop. Now, God continues this discourse all the way up to chapter 41. But there is an interjection um, in chapter 40. At the beginning of chapter 40, Job realizes that he bit off more than he could chew. <laughs> and so he tries to actually leave the courtroom. He tries to get out of the, uh, uh, the audience. And in Job chapter 40, verses 3 to 5, Job tries to interrupt God. And he says, then Job answered and said, behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but now I will not answer. Yes, twice, but now I will proceed no further. At this point, after two chapters of God asking Job questions, Job has had enough. He said, this, is, this is good enough. This is good enough. Uh, but God continues for another couple of chapters. And in other words, God said, no, 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 what? You, you asked for this audience, Job, so let's finish it. And so it's at chapter 42, after God has revealed wisdom and knowledge and understanding and truth to Job, that we have Job's response. Therefore, as we explore this passage, I want to highlight four things we learn on the other side of what Ever our thing may be. Now let's begin reading there in verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. In these verses, we see that Job confesses that his understanding of God has grown, for he says, I have uttered things that I did not understand. At this point, Job has a better understanding of who God is. He has a higher view of God and of who he is because God showed it to him. And this is one of the first things we learn on the other side of the thing. Number one, we learn to take the high view of God. When we don't take the high view of God, we will not grow. When we don't take the high view of God, we will take the low view by default. In Psalm 34, verse 1, uh, David said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. In other words, let's put a magnifying glass on who God is. Let's lift up his name. Let's take a high view of God. In another psalm, one of the psalmists wrote, I will lift my eyes to the hills." where my help comes from. My help 
comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. In other words, I'll take the high view of God. Too often, we try to bring God down and reduce God down to our emotional experience. By doing this, we are taking a low view of God. Instead, we must lift up our eyes to gain a higher view of God. We must lift up our eyes to gain a higher perspective of God. Uh, we must lift up the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our understanding to see him for who he really is. We will always have a low view of God when we try to understand God through the lenses of our experience instead of submitting our experience to the authority of God's word. I'm going to say that again. We will always have a low view of God when we try to understand God through the lenses of our experience instead of submitting our experience to the authority of God's word. We do this because too often when we go through things or we experience things, we get uh, engaged or we become distracted by our own efforts. We become distracted by our own Works. We become distracted uh, by what we can do and how we can make it happen. And in Matthew chapter 14, uh, we find the story of, of the disciples uh, who Jesus told to get into a boat and to go to the other side. And as they are in the middle of the sea, a storm arises and they are rowing and they are straining trying to get to the other side. And Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. And the gospel writers noted something really interesting. When they saw Jesus, they said, it's a ghost. The same man that just hours earlier was with them who performed a miracle now is coming to them walking on the water. They look at him and say, it's a ghost. Because too often when we're busy, busy rowing and straining, and working, trying to make it happen, we're not looking up and we miss the God that is coming to us and who he really is because we are too distracted by what we can do, how we can make it happen by our own efforts instead of looking up to the God who can do everything. We become too overly concerned about what we can do and we take the focus off what God can do. Have you ever become overly concerned over things you cannot control? And the reason you become overly concerned with them is because you can't control them. 
And I know it sounds cliche. And I know it sounds rudimentary. And I know it sounds like a, a grade school rhyme, but what a great opportunity to trust God. It's only on every coin and every piece of money you pick up. In God. We trust. You see, but, but there comes a place and a time in the life of every Christian where you move away from the place where you say, I trust God, to the place where you actually trust him. And you say to yourself, I have no control over that. I have no control over him. I have no control over her. I have no control over the company. I have no control over the church. I have no control over my children, my spouse, my health, my destiny. And so I am going to trust God and go to sleep because tomorrow has new mercies. You should try it sometime. It is fantastic. And if you can't sleep like me, I'm an insomniac. Melatonin seems to work from time to time. <laughs> the, way, the best way to make progress is by looking up. When we do not look up, we become encumbered by our rowing like the disciples and we miss, we miss what God is trying to reveal to us. Putting too much emphasis on what we can accomplish can become a hindrance to our spiritual growth. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, called it the tyranny of things. Things can be so tyrannical. They can become, things can become dictators in our lives. And so when we get to focus with, with things, uh, Jesus said it this, word, this way, uh, the, the word of God is choked in our life by the cares of other things. So it becomes important that we learn to have a high view of God in the midst of whatever thing we may be wrestling with. Let's put, continue our reading there in verse number four. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you. You shall answer me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ears, but now my eyes see you. Here Job acknowledges that he had one perspective of God. He knew him by the hearing of the ears, but now his eyes see God. In other words, now he has an enhanced perspective of who God is. He has an enhanced understanding of who God is. He has an insight, enhanced, enhanced insight of who God is. He has uh, an enhanced revelation of who God is. God will always use the things we experience in life as an opportunity to reveal his truth and his word to us. This brings us to the second thing we learn. Number two, God will use the things we go through to help us know him better. He will use our experiences in life as an opportunity to take us from hearing 
to seeing. Now, some of you, including me, are a little bit too young to remember the age before television. Some of you in here may not. Back in the early 1900s, all the shows were by radio. And so everybody would gather around the radio and they would hear and, and they would have these space shows and they would, everything was by the hearing. And so you had to have a picture in your mind of what you were hearing. But, but something happened in 1927. They came out with this nifty invention called television. And people went from experiencing things from hearing to now seeing. And see, this is one level of experience, but seeing things. See, uh, listening to a podcast is different than watching a YouTube video, isn't it different? Because you can see the people in the video, you see how they move, you see their mannerism, you see what clothes they're wearing. But when you're listening to a podcast, you're only listening to a voice. And, and this is what Job is referring to. I, had, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And so we see that uh, God uses the things that we go through to help us to learn more about him. This is why 2 Thessalonians 5:21 says, "Examine all things and hold fast that which is good." In other words, out of everything you experience in life, there is a lesson. There is some good even if it's in hindsight. If we are paying attention, if we're walking closely with the Lord, we will begin to discover the attributes of God working in our lives. We will begin to understand God's power. We will begin to understand God's holiness. We will begin to understand God's righteousness. Unfortunately, too many times we're not paying attention and, and we become unidimensional in our perspective of God. In other words, our knowledge of God becomes one track. Uh, to some people, God is just love. He's just love. God just loves people. He just wouldn't hurt anybody. God just would never, ever, ever send anybody to hell. That's just such a mean God. He's such a meanie. And then he says love, and he would just never, never say anything hurtful or anything stern to anybody, you brood of vipers. He'll just know, you know, he just, he just love, 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 love. And he's just, just one track. And so, and, and when you have love without truth, love becomes perversion. And then the other people is truth. And this is the God is truth. And he's a truth. And, you know, you got to speak the truth. And you just got to love the truth. And you got to stand up for the truth. And truth without love creates Pharisees. And the Pharisees crucified Jesus. And, and to other people, a God is sovereign. And they exalt the sovereignty of God above everything. Oh, forget about the fact that He's powerful and love and just. He's a sovereign and just put, places sovereignty above. And then so we we have a unidimensional perspective of God. But God is sovereign and God is love and God is truth and God is justice and God is graceful and merciful and His goodness. God is all those things. And so anytime. Uh, we just take a one view of God. 
we are limiting our own growth and how we can know God and not realize that when God allows us to experience things in life, he wants us to learn more about him. Jacob's brother Esau was going to kill him because he stole his birthright and he stole his blessing. If my brother had done that to me, I would try to do the same. <laughs> you probably would have too. And so Jacob has to run away and he falls asleep on a rock. And as he's asleep that night with his head on a rock, he has this vision of God and the angels of God descending and ascending upon some stairs. And when he wakes up in the morning, he makes this remarkable statement. He said, God was in this place and I did not know it. Now, it's interesting that Jacob has this revelation of God. He has this dream right after his brother was trying to kill him. He's not sleeping on a pillow. He's not sleeping on the Hyatt, in the Hyatt Hotel. He's sleeping on a rock. See, uh, when you may be sleeping in the hard places or you may be at the hard places in life where you feel like you're running or life is chasing you or, or your family members are trying to kill you or they've quite frankly gone bananas and you don't, you don't know, you, you want to have a DNA check just to make sure you are part of that family because you're not sure if those are your family members or not. You, 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 when you're going through those situations, it's in those situations that God can be in that place and you not know it. Uh, Hagar, Hagar with her, her boy, she's been, she's been kicked out of the house because, you know, Sarah told Abraham, you, she's got to go. There can't, be, there can't be two women of the house and there can't be two sons. He can't inherit. And so Abraham has to do something really difficult and kick Hagar. And Hagar runs out of water in the middle of the desert and she just sits down on the desert and starts crying her eyes out. An angel taps her and her eyes are open and she realizes that she was about to die of thirst right next to a well. See, because it's in the difficulties of, of life. It's when, when we are going through things we don't understand. It's when we are crying our eyes out or when we are frustrated or when we are struggling. It's in those times that it's the greatest opportunity for us to know God in a different way. The God that you have not known otherwise. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the Prince of Preachers, once said this, You will never know God's strength until he has supported you in the deep waters. Uh, in verse number six of, uh, I'm back in... Job chapter 42. In verse number 6, Job says this. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job had justified himself and questioned God's wisdom and God's sovereignty over his life. So he recognized his sin and he repented. Oh, and this is a great point for me to ask you. Have you ever questioned God's wisdom and his sovereignty over your life? 
Have you ever questioned, Lord, why me? Why am I going through this? Why can't I get over this? Why do I keep coming back to this same place? We all have. Job did. In fact, Job went a step beyond and said, give me an audience, which <laughs> at this point, he wished he hadn't because now he's having to repent. <laughs> which brings us to the third point. Repentance is always the best policy. The word repent is the Greek word metaoneo, which means to, to change the mind or, or to, to change course, to be going uh, in one direction and change your mind and go the other direction. And, and, and repentance is, is such an important part of the life of the believer. According to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, P Peter says to them, repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Before we can accept Christ, we need to repent of our sins. We need to believe the gospel. We need to turn away. We need to believe that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, that he, it was a substitution death, that he took my place on the cross and he was physically buried and physically placed in the tomb and physically rose from the dead. And now by placing my faith in that sacrifice, I am saved and I repent of my sins. And it's important. Repentance is an important part of our lives. Too often, we want to know God, but still remain in our sin. Too often, we want God's blessing and still remain in our sin. Too often, we want God's favor and for God to open doors for us and to God to fix things for us, but uh, we don't deal with our own sin. Jesus said these words in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? In Matthew chapter 7, he has some even more sobering words that every time I read these words, they uh, give me great pause. Matthew chapter 7 verses 22 and 23 records these words. Jesus said, in my day, many will, in that day, many, meaning the day of judgment, many will come to me and say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do signs in your name? Did we teach in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? And I will declare unto them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I have to pause because these people said they did miracles. They taught. They served. They performed all these religious acts and, and actually God empowered them. And they experienced the Holy Spirit in doing them. Toward the end, he said, I never knew you. And so repentance is an important part of our walk with the Lord. Repentance is always the best policy. Uh, and, and repentance is not a one-time deal. Repentance is a lifestyle. 
The book of Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. One of the ways that you know that God's goodness is working in your life is when you repent. When you are quick to repent. Oh, and I have to issue you a, a warning here. If you are someone who is stubborn, someone who refuses to apologize, someone who is insistent in staying in his sin, I have to warn you. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. See, the goodness of God, the way you understand that God's goodness is working in your life is that he leads you to repentance. Acts chapter 3 verse 9 says, repent and be converted so that times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord. See, uh, when we live a lifestyle of repentance, and, and believe me, if, if, if you're married and under the sound of my voice, you will probably spend the rest of your life repenting. Because there's no way that, that two people can live together, two sinners. You, you do realize that you're sinners. And I, 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 will you guys indulge me for a minute? Will you indulge me for just one minute? Uh, dogs do what? Are you going to indulge me or not? Dogs do what? Cats. Cows. Sinners. Y'all are just. (laughs) So when you have two sinners living together, guess what they're going to do? And so guess what you're going to have to do? Repent. So if you don't practice repentance of a lifestyle, the way to get rid of the sin in your marriage, the sin in your life, the sin in your church, the sin in your business is by repenting. And we have to live a constant lifestyle of repentance. And this is why God hates pride because pride says, I'm never wrong. No, it's not my fault. It's your fault. Listen, not only, not only will we need to repent to God, but we need to repent toward each other. No, all I have to do is ask God to forgive me. I don't have to apologize to you. Luke chapter 17, and you please note this down, the first seven verses, uh, records these words. Uh, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And the word rebuke is a stern correction. And it says this, if he repents, I'm going to say that again. If he repents, forgive him. Now, I don't want to confuse you, so I want to put a pause on the verse there. That forgiveness that is talking there in Luke chapter 17 is a forgiveness that is uh, meant for the restoration of relationships. That doesn't mean that you get to hold a grudge. Because Jesus said in another, uh, in Matthew, that we always need to forgive from the heart. So yes, you have to forgive them from the heart. But just because I forgive you from the heart doesn't mean that I have to restore the relationship. 
And so the problem is that sometimes people try to move forward with the restoration of relationship and they have not yet to apologize. They have not yet to repent. They have not yet to take responsibility for your sin. When you sin, particularly when you sin against another human being, take responsibility for what you have done. And are you guys okay this morning? I know I'm on a roll. I know. Y'all got preacher Pastor Tito today. Okay. If you insulted someone, called them out of their name, betrayed them, or did something atrocious like that, saying, I'm sorry, is not sufficient. I'm sorry, you say, if you bump into somebody in the grocery store, oh, I'm sorry. You stepped on somebody's shoe, I'm sorry. If you betrayed me, called me out of my name, insulted, no, 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 no. You were grown enough to say all those things. Now I need a grown person apology. And guess what? I am going to teach you how to do that this morning. So if I, which I have had to do to my father because I've lost my, my patient. I, I've had to say, Dad, will you please Forgive me. I have sinned against you. I make no excuse. This is where most of you will say, but. Don't put the but in there. The moment you put the word but, you're making an excuse. Do not make an excuse for your sin. I have no excuse. I'm a sinner. Will you please pray for me? That is how a grown person, of, I'm sorry, you didn't bump into me in the grocery store. If I insult you, if I go in, listen, if you are grown enough to go in on somebody with your words, be grown enough, to, even if you have to write, if you, call me, Facebook, I will help you craft a proper grown person apology. <laughs> I'm sorry, were you in junior high? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm Y'all might not invite me again. <laughs> this is counselor, Pastor Tito, you got today. And you would be amazed at the amount of people that I've counseled that the person has gone years and years and years without apologizing. And, and you expect for the grace of God to flow. You expect for the blessings of God to flow. It is the, the spirit of repentance that brings the refreshing. God gives grace to the humble. It's when we humble ourselves and say, I have sinned against God and against you. Will you please forgive me just like I asked God to forgive me? I am a sinner. I have failed you as a friend. I have failed you as a spouse. I have failed you as a father. I have failed you as a son. That's how we ask for forgiveness. Because if not, they just become Cute cliches called, I'm sorry. For what? That you got caught? You sorry I'm mad? You sorry that I took your iPhone? You sorry I'm now lurking on your Facebook account? What are you sorry about? Repentance. Is, let's read the last four verses. I, I think you guys got the point. <laughs> I'm a hot mess today. Please pray for me. 
I told you I have not slept today. So I'm a, I, I'm a little bit unhinged. I'm a little bit unblood. Please, please, will you please forgive me? I'm so, I apologize to you. I am a sinner. Please pray for me. I make no excuse about it other than the fact that I'm a sinner. Saved by grace, will you forgive me? There you go. I had to practice it. Verse 7, and we'll go, and so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Sophar the Nahamite went and did as the Lord commanded them. For the Lord had accepted Job in verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. At this point, God directs his attention to Job's friends. He's going to deal with their sin because they're falsely accusing Job of sin. Uh, they insisted that all these things that were going wrong in Job's life were a result of his sin. So they did several things that were sinful. That Number one, they misrepresented God until they falsely accused someone who had not sinned without evidence. In other words, they judged him. And anytime we accuse people without evidence, we are judging them. Anytime we judge people or we presume to know why people did things without really knowing we are judging them. It's what Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 says, do not judge lest you be judged. Oh, oh the, you did that because you're hateful. Uh, you did that because you don't like me. Anytime we make statements like that, we presume to know the reason why someone did that. And even if they have history and even if they've done it for that reason in the past, can you really know beyond a shadow of a doubt? Do you really know the hearts of men as God does? No. Anytime we do that, we have judged. We're being judgmental. If someone sees you doing something that is ungodly and unbiblical, and they point it out to you. They're not judging you. They're actually helping you. They are correcting you. They're rebuking you. They're exhorting you. That is actually biblical Christianity. So God commands Job's friend to humble themselves and repent. And now they're having to go to the one they accused of sin to seek ministry. How things turn. And at this point, Job has to go beyond his misery and beyond his pain and beyond his loss because 
he's having to pray for his friends before God restored him. He's still broke, sick, relationship in shambles, children still dead. And God is saying to him, you need to go and pray for the people that were falsely accusing you. Most of the difficulties and challenges we experience are usually about helping others, which brings us to our fourth and final point. The things we experience teach us to be a blessing to others. Most, if not all, the strain and stresses in life are always about being a blessing to others. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus looks at Peter and he says to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. And then he says these words, and when you are converted, strengthen the brother. In other words, you're going to fall. You're going to go through some things. But once you get up from the fall, go strengthen the brethren. So everything that you're going through, Peter, is about being a blessing to other people. We cannot get so focused on what is happening to us that we miss what God wants to do through us. Focusing on helping others will help us maintain a Christ-like perspective. There is a movie, some of you may be familiar with it, a lot of you guys, younger people will not be familiar with it, it's called The Schindler's List. Uh, uh, Liam, I think uh, Liam Neeson is the character, he plays Oscar Schindler. And toward the end of the movie, uh, he is surrounded by 1,100 Jews and he is in such agony, he is in such misery. He, said, I, he says, I could have sold this watch and saved one person. And he says, I, I, I should have sold this car. I could have saved 10 people because uh, throughout, this, uh, throughout the movie, he had uh, maintained this factory. And by employing people in the factory, uh, he, he saved their lives. And he's surrounded by 1,100 Jews. And, and they look at him and they say, but you saved us. And he was so engrossed in his own grief and so engrossed in what he was feeling and so engrossed in his self-pity that he missed out on the fact that he had helped others. And I'm here to tell you when we get so self-engrossed in what we are going through or what we are trying to accomplish or we have not accomplished or what's missing in our lives, we miss out on the fact that God has called us here to be a blessing. Look, Philippians chapter 2 verses 2 through 4 says, let each of you look not, not only for his own interest but for the interest of others. We are here. We need to remember that the Lord that, that created us, that we exist in God's kingdom to be a blessing to others. Living for ourselves will always leave us empty and desiring more. While living for God will ultimately lead us to help others and lead us to fulfillment and satisfaction and joy. Is your life empty today? 
Is, do you feel like your life is void or, or missing something? Is it void of joy? Are you always looking for something else to fill your life? Or have you found the source of true contentment? As the Apostle Paul said, have you learned to be content? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Or are you postponing your contentment? Uh, when I graduate from high school, then I'll be content. When I graduate from college, then I'll be content. When I pay my student loans, when I have kids, when my marriage gets better, when I get a better, then I'll be content. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will. It's my choice. My choice to rejoice or is it my choice to push my contentment and joy and happiness and tag it to some bullseye in the future. Carpe diem sees the day. Every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year that you push your contentment and joy into the future, it's time that you waste it and you cannot get back. You can make more money. You can buy more houses. You can buy, get more friends. Time. And so today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to sing a song. And uh, I'm going to ask if you uh, stand, to stand with me as the worship team comes. Uh, is the worship team still here? Um, <laughs> This is the Pastor Tito. You preached us out of the house. I, I, I don't know what thing is in your life. I don't know what thing you are going through. I don't know what thing you're trying to overcome or what thing you're trying to achieve. But if in the midst of those, you've realized that much like Job and his friends, maybe you missed what God is trying to say to you. Maybe you've spent your time not being content. I want you to come. I want to pray a prayer over you. We're going to have an old school altar call. I'm, a, I'm feeling a little old school today. I know some of you may say, I don't want to go. I don't want to be the first one. I'm embarrassed that people, other people are going to say, just come. I just want to pray a simple prayer over you. We're not going to make it long. I think, think I've been, I, I might have I gone a little bit over my time. I did, am, am, I, am I good? Okay. Just come. 
Maybe you haven't given your life to the Lord Jesus today. If you Listen, if you have not surrendered your life to the Lord, don't put it back to tomorrow. Push it back to tomorrow. If you in sin and you know that you're in sin or if you've been stubborn or if you just behold now is the acceptable day. Behold today is the day of salvation. Anyone else? I'm getting ready to pray. just want to pray that God's grace floods your life because I realized something over the past 25 years that I can make decisions and have all good intentions, but unless the grace of God and the Holy Spirit empowers my intention, I am but a tingling brass and a sounding cymbal. It is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're in your seat, point your hands toward these fine folks here. Lord, here we are. Here we are, Lord. We all have things. We all have struggles. We all have goals. We all have pain. And yet, Lord, we present these things to you. And we choose to trust that you are going to deal deal with these things. That you're going to be faithful to your word. That if we put first your kingdom and your righteousness, then all these things will be taken care of. And so, Lord, we ask that you fill us with your grace today. We humble ourselves. We, We repent. We ask you to forgive us for trying to row through the storm instead of letting you into the boat. We ask that you strengthen us and anoint us and heal us. Father, cause us to be the people you have called us to be. Lord, heal marriages, heal heal our bodies. Father, Lord, stir up gifts in us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit like never before. We need a fresh and filling of your spirit. And so we pray, Lord, move in a mighty way in our lives. Thank you for each and every person that walked up to this altar, Lord. You know their hearts. You know their needs. And so, Lord, I pray that this day when they walk back, Lord, whatever, if there was a chain that it would fall off. If it was a worry that they might be unburdened, Lord. If it was a doubt that it may be filled with faith, Lord God. If there was a pain that it might be filled with comfort, Lord, whatever the need is, supply every need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Lord. And we pray, Father, for those who may be oppressed, for those who are, Father, being attacked, Lord, that you would, Lord, rebuke the devourer for your name's sake, Lord. By the power of the cross and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we pray that you would manifest Jesus in their lives in a special way. For you said, for this reason was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Let every demonic work be destroyed this day, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.